Amen. All right, well, we're there in Job chapter number one. And uh, this morning, like we've been talking about, we're starting a brand new series. And the title of the series is When Bad Things Happen to Good People. When Bad Things Happen to Good People. And of course, Job is one of the most famous characters in Scripture, very well-known character in the Word of God. And he went through a time of trial, and we're going to look at the life of Job this morning. But before we do that, I just want to begin by explaining a little bit of the series. It's, it's entitled, When Bad Things Happen to Good People. I want you to notice that it's not entitled, Why Bad Things Happen to Good People. Why bad things happen to good people, we'll learn from the story of Job. There's many different reasons why bad things may happen to good people. In fact, what we're going to do is we're going to spend the next several weeks looking at individuals who were good people as far as people are concerned. Obviously, we know the Bible says that there is none that doeth good. The Bible says there is none righteous. But people who did not, were not doing anything that caused them to have these trials come into their lives, but yet... They went through them, and what the purpose of this series is to teach you how to respond, what to do, how we should react and respond to the trials when trials come our way, because it's not if they'll come, it's when they'll come. And of course, the quote in the bulletin this week uh, goes perfect with what we're talking about, and the quote said, "Did but bad things happen. But it's how I respond to them that defines my character and the quality of my life. Now, you may be here this morning, and you may be going through a trial. I don't know. You may be going through a difficult time in your life, and this sermon or this sermon series may be exactly what you need. And you may be here this morning and saying, everything's fine. Everything's going well in my life, and I don't have any problems. But here's what I know. The, the Christian life is a life. If you're not going through a storm, you are getting ready to go through a storm because our lives are like that. While we are on this earth, we go through ups and we go through downs. We go through mountain uh, uh, peaks and we go through valleys. And maybe you're here and you say, well, I'm not, I don't, not really going through a trial. Then this sermon might be something that you might want to take notes on. You might want to write a few things down and you may want to just tuck that away because I know this, that there is a day coming when you will be going through a trial. You'll be going through a difficulty and And this may be able to help you in the future. Now, by way of introduction, what I'd like to do this morning is we're going to get into the sermon. But just by way of introduction, I'd like to begin by giving you some thoughts in regards to things we know because of Job that Job himself did not necessarily know. See, we have the privilege of going through the life of Job and going through the story of Job, and we get to see it from the narrator's point of view. We get to see everything that was happening in heaven and on earth and why it was happening and how things went about, but Job did not necessarily get to see those things. And before we get into how Job responded to trials and tribulations in his life, I'd like to just uh, point out some things to you in regards to you know, things we can learn uh, from Job that Job himself may have not known. Now, I want you to notice there in verse 1, we, the, the, the passage begins with the blessings of Job. And we see that Job was a perfect man. Notice verse 1, the Bible says this, There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was, notice how the Bible uh, uh, defines Job, that man was 
perfect. Now, I want you to notice, in the Bible, when the word perfect is used in Scripture, you can study this out on your own if you'd like, it's not the word perfect in the sense you and I use the word perfect. We use the word perfect like there's nothing wrong with it, like it's, 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 it, there's, there's nothing uh, uh, you know, corrupt about it. Uh, the Bible you would use the word righteous for that word. The word perfect in your King James Bible means to be complete. It means to be whole. It means to be uh, mature. It means that you have, you know, came to the place where you are well-rounded. And the Bible says that Job that it says that he was a perfect and notice not just perfect but an upright man and one that feared God and eschewed evil. That word there means he abstained from evil. This was a man who not only had the proper belief system, but he had the proper walk. He, he walked with God. He was a perfect man. He was mature in his walk. He was upright. He feared God, and he abstained from evil. Not only do we see here at the beginning of the chapter that Job was a perfect man, but we also see that he was a prosperous man. Notice verse 2. And there were born unto him seven sons, and three daughters. Now, who would agree that, the, you know, like the Bible teaches, that children are a blessing from the Lord? And here we see that this was a very well-blessed man. He had seven sons and three daughters. But not only was he blessed, you know, because of his descendants, he was blessed materialistically as well. Notice verse 3. His substance also was... 7,000 sheep. Now, you and I, you know, we live in California, not necessarily an agricultural, uh, you know, part of, 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 of the state, but, uh, you know, this is how they determined wealth in the time of Job. Not only was he blessed because he had seven sons and three daughters, but he had 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels and 500 yoke of oxen and 500 she-asses. And notice what it says, a very great household, meaning many servants and a lot of people in his household. So that, notice what it says at the end of verse 3, so that this man was the greatest of all the men of the east. You would look at Job and he would be like a uh, Warren Buffett or a Bill Gates. He would be someone who people would look at and say, this is the greatest man. This is the richest man. This is the most wealthy and prosperous man. So we see that Job was a perfect man. He was a prosperous man. But I want you to notice also that Job was a praying man. Look at verse 4. And his sons went and feasted in their house. Everyone his day and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. Now, let me just say this, and I'm not preaching on the family this morning, but we can see that Job was a successful parent because he had grown children that actually wanted to spend time with each other. I mean, these people are, are getting together. Notice how it says, his sons went and feasted in their houses. Notice this phrase, everyone his day. This was a routine they had. This was a schedule they had. Every, you know, they just, you know, I don't know, maybe every Friday night they got together at uh, older brother's house, and then the next Friday night at the next brother's house, and, the next, and they would, this was a family that spent time together, and they like, you know, one of the goals that my wife and I have for our five children, and Lord willing, our six here very soon, uh, you know, our goal is that when they're older, they'll want to spend time with us when they don't have to spend time with us. And that's who Job was. That's how Job lived his life. And that's how he raised his children. Everyone his day. And sent and called for their three sisters. Notice, to eat and to drink with them. And it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about that Job sent and sanctified them. And notice these words. Rose up early in the morning. And by the way, you know, let me just say this. You'll never be successful in life unless you learn how to raise up early in the morning. 
You know, this man was a very successful man in business, and I don't think, you know, I, I think God throws that in there. Let us know a little bit about his character. He rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be. Now, he didn't say it was. He said, but just in case it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts, thus did Job continue. This was a very successful man. This was a very busy man. This was a very wealthy man who took time in the morning to to get up early and pray for his family. We see the blessings of Job. But what's interesting about this story is that God allows us to cross dimensions into the spiritual world, and we get to see the throne room of heaven, and we get to see what you and I don't get to see. We see the physical world, but we get to look into the spiritual world. Not only do we see the blessings of Job in the physical world, but we also see the boasting of God in the spiritual world. Notice verse 6. Now, there was a day when, notice these words, the sons of God. Now, I'm not preaching on this this morning, but let me just throw this out there. Uh, There's a false teaching out there that the term the sons of God here is referring to angels. I've taught many sermons on that, and we've had videos and things that you can look up in regards to that. Let me just give you one quick proof as to why the sons of God there are not angels, and it's this. If you're there in Job 1, just flip over a couple of pages to Job chapter 4 and look at verse number 18. Job chapter 4 and verse 18. Job chapter 4 and verse 18 says this, Behold, he put not trust in his servants and his, I want you to notice this word, angels, he charged with folly. Now people say, well, in Job chapter 1 and verse 6, when he says the sons of God there, he's actually referring to angels. Here's the problem with that. In the book of Job, the word angels is used. So if he was talking about angels, he would have just said angels. Now, he said the sons of God, if you go back to Job chapter 1, you say, why? Because it's the sons of God. Who are the sons of God? As many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. In the Old Testament, in the New Testament, it's always been the same, that those who receive Christ are the sons of God. So here we see Old Testament saints who called upon the Lord for salvation, who have died. We're now getting a glimpse into heaven. Notice what it says. Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And by the way, if you believe that the angels are the sons of God, then you'd also have to believe that Satan is the son of God. Now look, we're not Mormons. All right, Satan is a created being. Satan was created by God. He's not the son of God. He's not equal with the Lord Jesus Christ. But we see here that the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them them. Notice verse 7. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? That word whence means from where? He's saying, from where are you coming? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. Now, here's, this, is, this is interesting, and we're going to get to the sermon here in a minute. This is all kind of just introduction, but I want to build this up and help you understand. Keep your finger there in Job chapter 1. That's obviously our text for this morning. But go with me to the book of First Peter in the New Testament. First Peter chapter number 5. Now, if you start at the end of the New Testament, at the book of Revelation, and you head backwards, you're going to go past the book of Jude, past the book of Third, Second, and First John, uh, Past the book of 2 Peter into the book of 1 Peter, all right? So you're going to go Revelation, Jude, 3rd, 2nd, and 1 John, 2nd and 1 Peter, and I want you to be in 1 Peter chapter 5. Now, here's what's interesting. God asked Satan, he said, whence comest thou? And the response from Satan is from going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. 
Now, in 1 Peter 5.8, we're told about Satan. Notice what Peter writes about Satan. 1 Peter 5.8, he says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, notice what he says, as a roaring lion walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Do you know that Satan is walking about the earth today, seeking whom he may devour? He's walking up and down in it. See, today, people, Christians have this idea, oh, Satan's down in hell. Satan runs hell. No, Satan's not in hell. He's on the earth, walking about as a roaring lion. Why? Because he wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy your marriage, and he wants to destroy your children, he wants to destroy your life. And you know, part of the reason that we're preaching this series is because he does that oftentimes. Satan does that when trials come into our lives, when tribulations come into our lives, when temptation comes into our lives, and Satan whispers in our ear and says, why would a good God allow this? Why would God, you know, God God doesn't love you. God doesn't know you. God is not thinking of you. But see, we see Satan here that he is the adversary. He is the roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. Keep your place there in 1 Peter. Go back to Job chapter 1. Look at verse 8. Keep your place in 1 Peter. We're going to come back to that part of the scripture. Job chapter 1 and verse 8. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered? And notice what God says. Has thou considered my servant, Job? I mean, wow. God is actually boasting and bragging about Job. Satan shows up and God says, Hey, has, has thou considered my servant, Job? Notice what he says. That there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and is true with evil. Let me just show you something real quickly. If you kept your finger there in 1 Peter, go to Hebrews. If you just kept, keep going backwards, you're there in 1 Peter, you're going to go past James into the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter number 11. If you're in 1 Peter, just go back, James, past James, into the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter number 11. Look at verse 16. Here's what you need to know. Job was a special man. God does not just boast and brag about anybody. God only boasts and brag about people who deserve to be boasted and bragged about. Notice Hebrews 11, verse 16. It says this, But now they desire a better country that is in heavenly. Wherefore, he's talking about it, and we could read all of Hebrews 11. We're not going to do that this morning. It's the hall of faith. It goes through all of the different people that through faith did great things for God. And then he says this about those people. He says, Wherefore, he says, For that reason, God is not ashamed to be called their God. We had prepared for them a city. And you know what's interesting about that, and here's what we can learn from that, is that there are some people that God is not ashamed to be called their heart, to be called their God, but on the flip side of that, you know what that means? That there are some people that God is ashamed to be called their God. I, w- I wonder if you and I are someone that God could boast about today. I wonder if you and I are someone that God could brag about today, that, that he could say to, to, to Satan, has thou considered my servant, insert your name, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man. Now, here's what you need to understand. That's what the series is about. That's what we're going to learn. What, what made Job so special? What made Job the type of Christian that God could boast and brag and not be ashamed to be called his God? And I want you to notice, and go, go back to Job chapter number one, and like I said, I wanted to just give you some thoughts in regards to uh, some things that we learned, that we learned from Job that Job himself did not know. And here's the first thing that we learned from Job from the story of Job, from the life of Job, that Job himself did not necessarily know. And here's, here it is. Just because we're going through trials or difficult times does not mean that God is displeased with us. See, the lie of the prosperity gospel 
is that if you're right with God, God is going to make you healthy and God is going to make you wealthy and God is going to make you rich. And look, I, I, you know, there, there, there's, there's an idea of God's blessing and we understand that. But you know what? Job was right with God. Job was pleasing to God. Job lived his life in a way where God would say, has thou considered my servant Job? And yet we see Job go through trials. We see Job go through sickness. We see Job go through financial difficulties. We see Job lose loved one. And look, as we go through this series and we study the life of Joseph, we'll see Joseph get backstabbed and we'll see Joseph get thrown in prison and we'll see Joseph get lied about. Yet the entire time the Bible says the Lord was with him. We'll see Paul go through health problems and through trials and tribulations and yet the entire time God was with him. So don't believe this lie that just because things are hard or things are tough or you're going through a trial. Now look, it may be. It may be. There are many reasons why bad things happen. The Bible says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. It may be that you're going through trials or tribulations because of decisions that you've made in your life. It may be, the Bible says, you know, that the Lord chastens his children. It may be that God is correcting you. It may be that God is trying to get your attention because of sin in your life. I'm not going to say that that's not true, but I will say this, that every once in a while you may be going through a trial and God is pleased with you. God was pleased with Job. So don't fall into this trap that if I'm not rich and I'm not healthy and I'm not wealthy, then then God must not be pleased with me. You may be exactly where God wants you to be. Notice verse 9, Job chapter 1, verse 9. We see Satan's accusation. Now God brings up Job and says, as I've considered my servant Job. And here's Satan's response. He accuses Job, verse 9. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, notice what he says. He says, doth Job fear God for not? He says, look, does Job fear God? This is what Satan's saying to God. Does, does Job fear God for nothing? I mean, is Job serving you just for nothing? Look at verse 10. Has not thou made a hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now. This is the accusation of Satan. He says, put forth thine hand now and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. And by the way, you don't have to turn there, but in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10, Satan is called the accuser of the brethren. And here we see Satan accusing Job, saying, God, the only reason Job serves you is because you're good to him. The only reason God serves you is because you put a hedge round about him, because you put a hedge round about his house, because you put a hedge round around every side of him, because you bless the work of his hand. That's the only reason that God serves you, that, that Job serves you. And, and, and Satan says, and you know what, God, if you put forth your hand and touch all that he has, he will turn on you. He will curse you to thy face. And this is, this accusation, this charge, this dare made by Satan is the reason we have the book of Job, is the reason we have the story of Job, because we not only get Satan's accusation in chapter 1, but the rest of the chapter is Job's affirmation. The rest of that chapter explains to us and shows us the testimony, and it affirms the fact that Job's heart was right, that he was not serving God for any ulterior motives. But here's what I want you to understand. Something we can learn from the story that Job himself did not necessarily know is this. Not only that just because we're going through trials or difficulties does not mean that God is not pleased with us, but secondly, that God may allow trials 
You know, we want to ask this question, why do bad things happen to good people? And there's many reasons why. But one of the reasons may be why. Because, in the, in the example of Job, because our appropriate response in that trial will be a testimony for others. I mean, Satan said, he will not serve you if you take things from him. And God says, okay, well, let's see that. And the life of Job was not only a testimony to Satan. Imagine that. But because it was written down and put in Scripture, it's a testimony for all of us. And here we are thousands of years later. Talking about the light of Job. God may allow trials because our appropriate response in that trial will be a testimony for others. Let me give you a third one. Go to Job chapter 1, look at verse 12. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself, notice what God says, put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. Now you know the story, we read it. Job responds well to the trial. And in chapter 2, we have round 2. In fact, go to chapter 2 just real quickly, look at verse 3. In chapter 2, Satan comes back, you know, after that all of was taken from Job, and he comes back in verse 3, notice what it says, And the Lord said unto Satan, Has thou considered my servant Job? You know, God, God is saying, What do you think about Job now? And notice again another accusation. He says, Well, God says that there is none like him in all the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and cheweth evil, and still holdeth his integrity, although thou movest me against him to destroy him without cause. Look at verse 4. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. But put forth thine hand now, and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. Here's what Satan was saying. Satan was saying, You allowed me to take his family, and you allowed me to take his wealth, and you allowed me to take all the materialistic stuff that he had. He said, But you know what? You stopped me from touching his body. You said that I was not allowed to put forth my hand and touch his body. He said, but if you would allow me to, to, to touch his body, if you would allow me to make him sick, if you would allow me to, to, to hurt him physically, he would curse you to thy face. Look at verse 6. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he is in thine hand, but save his life. God says, go ahead and make him sick, but don't kill him. You say, what can we learn from this? Here's what you can learn from this. Everything that comes into our lives whether good or bad, is filtered and permitted through God. There's, no, there's nothing that comes into your life that God catches God off, that, that God says, oh, man, I didn't see that coming. Look, whatever sickness, whatever trials, whatever temptation, you say, Satan is attacking me. Satan is only attacking you because God allows it. And look, there had no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able. God is the one who holds and restrains Satan back. And you don't have to turn there, but I love these verses in Daniel chapter 4 and verse 25. In fact, just, just turn there real quickly if you don't mind. If you're there in Job, go to the book of Daniel. In the Old Testament, you've got Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. If you can find those major prophets towards the end, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, then you've got the small prophet Daniel. Daniel chapter number 4. Just real quickly, Daniel chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4. Everything that comes into our lives, whether good or bad, is filtered and permitted by God. God is in control. Now, God does not, that does not do the sin or bring the sin. God has given man free will, and part of God's plan is that God allows man to do the wicked things that man is going to do. But here's what God does, is he controls the environment, 
And as we'll learn later on in this series, he can make all things, even bad things, work together for good. Now, he's not going to make everything good, but he can make all things work together for good. And we'll learn about that next week. And I want you to notice in Daniel chapter 4 and verse 25, the Bible says this, that they shall drive thee. This is, this is a, a, a prophecy to Nebuchadnezzar, who is the most powerful man on earth at this time, the king of Babylon. He says that they shall drive thee from men. And thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make thee eat, to eat grass as oxen, and they shall uh, wet thee with the dew of heaven, and seven times shall pass over thee. Now, this is a prophecy coming to Nebuchadnezzar, the judgment of God coming upon Nebuchadnezzar. But I want you to notice what he says. I love this phrase there at the end of verse 25. It says, Till thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. And whereas they commanded to leave the stump of the tree root, uh, thy kingdom shall be sure unto thee. Notice the last part of verse 26. After that thou shalt have known that the heavens do rule. See, what we need to understand is this. When you're going through trials, when you're going through a time of tribulation, of difficulty, you, you must realize this, that whatever you're going through, whatever you're going through was filtered and permitted by God. Because the heavens do rule. And the most high rule is in the kingdom of men. Go back to Job chapter 1. Job chapter 1. We saw some things. Now here's what you need to understand. Everything we just saw, that sometimes we go through trials or difficulties, and that doesn't mean that God is displeased with you. We know that because of Job. Job did not necessarily know that. In fact, Job had everybody tell him the opposite. In fact, you spent the next 38 chapters of this book, and you've got his friends telling him, this is your fault, Job. You must have really done something bad. You must have really done something terrible. You must really not be right with God for all this to be happening. And we know, we know that, that trials can come into your life and that doesn't necessarily mean that God is displeased with you. We know that because of Job. But I want you to understand, Job did not necessarily know that. Job did not get to read the first and second chapter of the book of Job. Not only do we know that difficulties do not mean that God is not displeased with you, but we also know that God may allow trials because of our appropriate response, and that trial will be a testimony to others. Job did not necessarily know that. Now look, if God would have came down to Job and said, listen, Job, let me let you in on a secret. I'm writing a book. It's called the book of Job. And it's going to be about you. And you're going to become one of the most famous people in the Bible. Your story is going to be preached. Your story is going to be used as a testimony. Your story is going to encourage people. Your story is going to teach people. There are going to be churches that are going to preach. There's a church in Sacramento like 2,000 years from now. They're going to be preaching a whole series about you, Job. See, Job didn't get that memo. Job didn't get that insight. You and I get that insight. Job didn't get that insight. Job didn't know. See, Job wasn't privy to the conversation between God and Satan, where God tells Satan, you can do this, but only up to this point. And you can do this, but only up to this point. Job did not necessarily know, like you and I know, that all things, whether good or bad, are filtered and permitted through God. I want you to notice in verse 13, and verse 13 begins the worst day of Job's life. And I, don't, I, would, I would guess that no one in this room has had a day like this day. But I'm sure you've had days that were bad days, days that were terrible days, days that were trying days. And this was that day for Job. It begins with him losing his 500 oxen and 500 asses. Notice verse 13. And there was a day 
when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their elder brother's house. And there came a messenger unto him and said, The oxen were plowing, and the asses feeding beside them, and the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them away. Yea, and they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. Now at this point, Job could have thought to himself, you know what? I've lost the 500 oxen, and I've lost the 500 camels, but at least we still have the, 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 the 7,000 sheep. You could have said, I've lost the 500 you know, oxen and the 500 asses, but at least we still have the 7,000 sheep. At least we still have the 3,000 camels. Not everything's lost. You know, business, we, we can recover from this. But notice verse 16, while he was yet speaking, while the servant was telling his story, there came also another and said, now notice what he said. I always think this is interesting. The fire of God is fallen from heaven. Now who was it that was orchestrating the attacks against Job? Was it not Satan? Yet when the report comes back to Job, it's the fire of God. It's always interesting to me how we always like to blame God a lot of times for what Satan does. And the fire of God has fallen from heaven and hath burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. Now at this point, Job could have thought to himself, okay, we've lost the 500 oxen and we've lost the 500 uh, asses and and we've lost the 7,000 sheep, but, you know, uh, we still got the 3,000 camels and maybe we can recover from this and maybe we can uh, uh, invest some more and do something different. Verse 17, while he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, the Chaldeans made out three bands and fell upon the camels. And I've carried them away, yea, and slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. Now at this point, if Job was a spiritual man, which we know he was, he could have thought to himself, well, at least I still have my family. But in verse 18, the Bible says this, while he, yet, while he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young men, and they are dead. And I only am escaped alone. To tell thee. I want you to ask yourself this question. How would you respond if you had a day like this? I mean, if you were just back-to-back messages, emails, text messages, phone calls saying, you lost your job, house went into bankruptcy, they're taking your house, your car's getting repossessed, you know, Bernie Madoff stole your 401k, and your children are dead. How would you respond? How would I respond? I want you to notice what Job does in verse 20. Then arose, then Job arose, and rent his mantle, and shaved his head. And fell down upon the ground and worshipped. Notice verse 21. And said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return hither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Verse 22 says this, And in all this Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. And look, verse 22 is the reason that God allowed these trials to come into the life of Job because God knew how Job would respond. Now, I don't want to scare you, but everything up to this point has been introduction. 
I've been kind of just setting up the story for you. Now, this is one of those sermons where the introductions roll along and the sermon is short, all right? So don't worry. We're going to get to the food here in a minute. But I want you to notice and I want you to understand and what I want you to get from this sermon is that Job maintained proper perspective through the trials. Job maintained a proper view of himself and those around him through this trial. And I want to just real quickly this morning give you three thoughts, give you three thoughts in regards to how to maintain proper perspective during trials. Because here's what I need you to know. Whether you're going through a trial now or whether you will go through one in the future, whether you will have a day like Job had, and hopefully none of of us ever have a day like Job had, but when you have a day that you would look at and you would say, this was the worst day of my life. I lost it all. You need to know that the proper perspective will get you through that trial. You say, how did Job keep proper perspective? I want you to notice three things. Just real quickly, three things. Number one, and if you're writing notes, I'd like you to write these statements down. Number one, he kept the proper perspective of his personal position. Job kept the proper perspective of his personal position. Notice verse 20 there. And Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head. And this was, of course, the, the Jewish culture in the Old Testament. They would do these things. There's times of trial and mourning. But I want you to notice what the Bible says. And he fell down upon the ground and worshipped. Now, this word worship is highly misunderstood today. Today, most Christians think that worshiping is going to church and having a rock concert and raising your hands and, and you know, feeling good about uh, you know, spirituality when we're being carnal. And I, would just, and I don't have time to develop this this morning. I would just submit to you, if you want to do a study of the word worship, you will find that worship in the Bible always has to do with someone bowing their knee before Amen. God. Amen. Worship in the Bible is always connected to this idea. It's, it's connected to the fact that he fell down upon the ground and worshiped. And you say, well, what what was Job thinking? What was going through Job's head? Here's what Job was thinking. Job was thinking to himself that I must understand my personal position before God. And when he thought to himself, who am I before God? The proper response was to fall on his face and worship. Was to fall on his face, bow on his knee, and worship. Go with me to the book of Romans real quickly, if you don't mind. Romans in the New Testament, you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. This morning, our choir sang. The orchestra played. They did a beautiful job, wonderful job. And they sang this song, Bow the Knee. And I don't know if you caught the words, but the words were this. There are moments on our journey following the Lord where God illuminates every step we take. There are times when circumstances make perfect sense to us as we try to understand each move he makes. But when the path grows dim and our questions have no answers, turn to him. The second stanza says this, There are days when clouds surround us and rain begins to fall, kind of like the day Job had. The clouds and lonely winds won't cease to blow. And there seems to be no reason for the suffering we feel. Wouldn't Job feel like that? We are tempted to believe God does not know. When the storms arise, don't forget we live by faith and not by sight. The chorus says, bow the knee, 
Trust the heart of your Father when the answer goes beyond what you can see. Bow the knee. Lift your eyes toward heaven and believe the one who holds eternity. And when you don't understand the purpose of his plan, in the presence of the king, and this is what Job did, he bowed the knee. Romans chapter 9 and verse 20. If you're there in Romans, I'd like you to notice this verse. Romans 9.20 says this, Nay, but oh man. See, when you're going through trials, see, because here's what you need to understand. A proper perspective of our position would be to fall out and worship before God and to realize my position before God. Here in Romans 9.20, the Bible says this, Nay, but oh man, who art thou that repliest against God? That term there, replies against God, means you're replying or you're arguing. Here's what, what the Apostle Paul is telling us. He's telling us, who are you to argue with God? What shall the, he says what, or excuse me, shall the thing form, here's what he says, he says, shall the thing form say to him that formed it, why hast thou made me thus? He's saying, look, if a potter makes a bowl, is the bowl going to reply against the potter? Is the bowl, is the bowl going to argue with the potter and say, well, why did you make me a bowl? Why didn't you make me a vase? Why didn't you make me a cup? Why didn't you make me a plate? Here's what he's saying. He's saying, you are no one to argue with God. He says, look, we should not reply against God. We should not argue with God. We should not charge God foolishly. Shall the thing form say to him that formed it? Why has thou made me thus? And I just want you to understand. I just want you to understand. I realize that most Christians are not going to be a Job. And you can listen to the sermon and tomorrow have a bad day and quit on God. And I get that. And I hope that's not the case. The truth is, you don't know and I don't know how we will deal with these things. And I hope that none of us ever deal with these things. I think one of the worst things that a believer can deal with is the death of a child. And some of you have gone through that experience. And I understand how difficult that is. I've, I've, never, I've never dealt with it. And I, I hope I never deal with it. But here's what you need to understand when we go through times of trials and tribulations. When we go through times of heartache. That we must keep a proper perspective of who we are in the presence of our God. And the proper response is to bow the knee. It's to fall on your face before God and to worship. I want you to notice secondly if you go back to Job. Keep your place in Romans for a second if you don't mind. Keep your finger there in Romans. Go back to Job. Not only did Job keep the proper perspective of his personal position, but I want you to notice, secondly, that he kept the proper perspective of temporal possessions. Notice verse 21. He says this. The Bible says, and said. Notice what he says. He says, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return hither. You know what he's saying? I came with nothing. I'll leave with nothing. He said, I didn't come in with 500 camels or 3,000 camels, 500 oxen, 500 asses, 7,000 sheep. I didn't come in with that. I didn't come in with all the servants. He said, I didn't even come in with all the children. He said, when I came into this world, I came in with nothing. When I came into this world, he said, I came in naked, not even clothes on my, on my body. He said, naked came out, out of my mother's womb. And you say, yeah, Pastor, we know that. We understand that we don't come into this world with nothing. But here's what I don't think we really understand, is that when you leave this world, you'll leave this world with nothing. 
You're not going to take your house. You're not going to take your vacation. You're not going to take your 401k. You're not going to take your, your, your checking account or your savings account. You're not going to take your car. You're not going to take your material possessions. He said, naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return hither. See, Job had a proper understanding of temporal possessions. That what he had was just for this life anyway. And see, you and I need to learn to be content with what God... Are you there in Romans? Go to the book of Philippians just real quickly. If you go past 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 11. Notice what the Apostle Paul says. We'll be looking at the life of Paul in the third week of this series. Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, he says this. He says, not that I speak in respect of want. Paul says, look, what I'm about to say to you, he's like, it's not because I want anything. He says, I don't desire anything. He says, he says, here's why I don't desire anything. And by the way, could you say that? I mean, could I say that? Because what I've noticed is that most Christians live their lives with this idea. If I could only get that next raise, or if I could only get that next bonus, or that promotion, or if I could just get that nicer vehicle, or if I could get that, you know, nicer cell phone, or if I could only, you know, get this or get that, if I could just turn the corner financially, if I could just get past this. And look, there's nothing wrong with getting a raise and promotions and having a nicer vehicle or a nicer house. Nothing wrong with that. But when you live your life with this idea that I will only be happy when I can, you will never be happy. Because there will always be a newer phone, a nicer car, a better house. And Paul says, not that I speak in respect of want. Paul says, I, I, I'm honestly, I honestly, if God blesses me with things, praise the Lord for it. But he said, I honestly can tell you, I don't desire anything. He says, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am. He said, whatever state I am, therewith to be content. Notice what he says, verse 12. He says, I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both. And by the way, he says I'm instructed because contentment is not something you get. It's something you learn. I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Go to Job chapter 1. I'm sorry, Job chapter 2, just real quickly. Job chapter 2. Remember in chapter 2, we have round 2, right? Satan comes and says, God, God says, as I consider my servant Job, he retains his integrity, he still hasn't charged me foolishly. And, 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 God, and, and Satan says, well, if you touch his body, and the Bible tells us in Job chapter 2, in fact, let's just read a little bit of it. Look at verse number 7. So went Satan forth from the presence of the Lord, Job chapter 2, verse 7, and smote Job with sore boils from the sore of his foot unto his crown, and he took him a pot shirt to scrape himself withal, and he sat down among the ashes. Verse 9. Then said his wife, and please, please understand this. I, I always try to bring this up whenever we look at this story. We like to beat up on Job's wife. But please understand this. She also lost everything. She also lost children. She also was going through trials. And Job teaches us how to lead those who follow us sometimes, who don't have the same strength that we may. Verse 9, then said his wife unto him, Does thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. Now notice, he didn't say you're a foolish woman. He said you're talking like some of the foolish women. And I want you to notice what he, the question. He says, what? 
He says, what? Shall we receive good at the hand of God? See, listen to me. It's really easy to be content when the finances are good, when your health is good, when your children are doing well. It's really easy to say, I've learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content, as long as the state's a good state. But I want you to notice that Job understood this. When he was getting the blessings, when he was getting the, the money, when he was getting the children, when he was getting the, 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 the respect, when he was getting you know, people admiring him, he, he understood this all comes from God, and God can take it away at any time. And he says, shall we receive good at the hand of God and shall we not receive evil? And that's the question I have for you this morning. We all don't mind receiving good at the hand of God. But shall we receive evil? And all this did Job not sin with his lips. See, not only did Job, not only did Job keep a proper perspective of his personal position before God, realizing that I am the creation and I have no right, I have no right to reply against God, to argue against God, to charge God foolishly. Not only that, but Job kept the proper perspective of his temporal possessions. He said, look, the Lord gave and the Lord had taken away. And I took it when it was good and I'll take it when it was bad. Because I'm going to leave this earth with nothing anyway. And look, if there's anything in this world, if there's anything in this world that God could not take from you, if there's anything in this world, you say, well, God, when you take and fill in the blank, then you've crossed the line. I'm just here to tell you, your heart's not right. Because Job kept the proper perspective of his, his temporal position. Let me give you the third one, and we'll be done. Look at Job chapter 1 and verse 21. Job chapter 1, verse 21. And said, Naked came out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return hither. Notice the last last few things he says. He says, The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Notice these words. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. I want you to notice thirdly this morning that he kept the proper perspective of God's providence. The providence of God is that God is the one who protects. God is the one who shields. God is the one who allows. And when Job said, Job said this, the Lord gave, the Lord taken away. And then he says, blessed be the name of the Lord. Here's what Job was saying. Job was saying, if God has chosen to take away, he's chosen to do that for a good reason. I may not understand the reason. I may not comprehend the reason. I may not see it right now. I may never see it. And by the way, when you read the entire book of Job, you notice at the end that God blesses him again and God gives him uh, his wealth and his prosperity again. But notice there's never an explanation. Even when God speaks to Job, there's never an explanation where God tells Job, here's why it happened. And I'm just here to tell you that there may be trials and temptations and tribulations in your life and you will never know why God allowed it. But we must trust in God's providence that God not only allows it, but if God allows it, He allows it for a reason. That God not only allows it, but if God allows it, He must have a good purpose. Notice what Job says. Go to Job chapter 13. We're just going to look at a couple, uh, couple more verses. We'll be done. Job chapter 13, verse 15. See, here's what Job understood. Job understood that if, God is, if God's providence allows me to go through this trial, God must know what he's doing. And he, and, he, and he 
knew this so well. Notice what Job says in Job 13, 15. He says, though he slay me. He says, though he slay me. He said, if God killed me, yet will I trust in him. He said, God, here's what Job's saying. The providence of God teaches us that God knows better than I know. God has a reason that maybe I don't understand or maybe I don't comprehend or maybe I wouldn't even agree with it. But if God wants to take, he says, if God wants to take it from me, if God wants to take my 500 oxen, yet will I trust in him? If God wants to take my 500 asses, yet will I trust in him? If God wants to take my 7,000 sheep, yet will I trust in him? If God wants to take my 3,000 camel, yet will I trust in him? If God wants to take my children, yet will I trust in him? He says, though he slay me. Here's what he's saying. Here's what Job is saying. There's nothing that God can do that would allow, that would cause me to not trust his plan, his purpose, his reason. Look at Job 23 and verse 10. Last verse we'll look at. Job 23 and verse 10. Job chapter 23 and verse 10. But he, talking about God, but he knoweth the way that I take. Sometimes when trials come, right? What does the song say? And we're tempted to believe God does not know. And sometimes we ask, you know, does God even know? Does God even care? Does God even re- Has God forgotten about me? But here's what Job understood. See, what we learn from the life of Job is not only the patience of Job, but we learn the perspective of Job, that Job kept proper perspective during times of trial. And here's what Job, Job knew. He knew that God knoweth the way that I take. Job said, I don't know a lot. I don't know what's going on. I don't know why this is happening. But I know that God knows who I am and where I am and what I'm going through. Notice what he says. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. See, Job understood this. Job understood God has a reason, and his reason will make me better. Now look again. I don't, I don't, I don't know all of you personally. I know most of you personally. I don't know all of you personally. And even those of you that I know personally, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know if you're going through a time of trial in your life. You know, sometimes these things that we, we do, we go through them privately and we go through them secretly. And you may be having a struggle in your marriage. You may be having a burden for your children. You, you may have just gotten some bad health news. Or you, you may have been going through a, a, a financial struggle right now and you're just kind of wondering, does God know and does God care? And here's, here's, here's all I want you to understand for this first kind of sermon this idea of when bad things happen to good people, is that you have a choice to either allow these things to make you bitter or make you better. And Job decided to keep the proper perspective of himself, of his position and his possessions, and the providence of God. And he said, I will trust him. And when God is done, and when God is done, I shall come forth as gold. It's your choice. When things go wrong, when things go bad, it's your choice to trust God and to keep the proper perspective to trust. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this wonderful story.